Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. If you do that, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy. And we got a fun episode for you guys tonight. We have some first impressions of Disney's newest animated series, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And we will also be discussing season two of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. But first, time to talk about the new kid on the block, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Can we just say that this might be the front runner for best cartoon of 2023? Easily. I mean, good lord, way to come out swinging. Just a fantastic first impressions. We both got screeners to check out, like, the first episode and then a few future episodes, and... I mean, like, I was already curious about how this was going to look and be executed. I don't know much about the comic. I just know it's, oh, that's a cool, fun combo. Super smart kid with a demonic dinosaur. Sounds fun to me. And then as we kind of just waited and waited for some kind of footage or pictures or just like what this whole show is going to look like. And then we finally get those little teases. And man... It's just so good. What a great first impression. Absolutely. Man, I don't even know where to begin. For those who don't know, this series follows Lunella Lafayette, a 13-year-old genius living with her parents and grandparents in the Lower East Side of New York. One day, she activates a portal, and a red-horned Tyrannosaurus Rex steps out. You can just tell from like the first two minutes that the creators poured their heart and soul into Every single frame. No, this was created by Lawrence Fishburne, Helen Shuglin, and Steve Loader. Are also executive producers on this show. If there was a way for a show to be a physical form of pure joy, happiness, and life, this show would be it. There is so much personality bursting from the the edges of, of the screen, from the designs from the super vibrant animation from Flying Bark Productions. Of course, most animation fans would know for doing the Rise of the TMNT series and Glitch Text, and the really fun Lego Monkey Kid series. And if you know anything about their animation, well, they go to 11 at all times. There's no calm down. Well, go at a 5 and then go back to a 10. Now, it's all at 11. With its vibrant pop art and comic book visual style, they just bring so much life to these characters. There's no real downtime moment where the characters are just like, we're going to keep them still because that saves us on animation and such. This animation is just incredibly expressive and even the voice cast like matches the energy of the overall production design. You have Diamond White as Lunella Lafayette, Fred Tatashore as 
devil dinosaur and probably one of my favorite supporting characters coach herbeck who's like the gym teacher but also kind of moonlighting as their science teacher which is very funny in the first episode when he just has no idea what he's doing exactly and he's just like okay lunella you're supposed to do what you're good at and that's teaching the whole class he's also voiced by fred Tadashore. And, like, the voice cast is really good because we also have Shashir Zamata as Adria, Lunella's mom, Jermaine Fowler as James Jr., the father, Mimi, voiced by Alfrey Woodard, Pops, voiced by Gary Anthony Williams, Libe Bearer, who voices Casey, and then we get just a ton of other great voice actors and actors in general. We have Michael Samino, We have India Moore. We have Utkarsh Ambudkar. And as a principal, just going with great comedic actors, we have Craig Robinson as the principal. And there's also David Diggs, who I think was in one of the episodes we got to watch. And then in another one, there was Jennifer Hudson. There are some other really big names coming in like method man will show up in one episode and Lawrence Fishburne shows up as the beyonder. And let's just say this is probably one of my favorite Lawrence Fishburne performances. He is having just the hell of a time when you all get to see the beyonder. Disney released a couple of clips of the beyonders musical number. And I think I have replayed that at least a couple dozen times. It's so catchy. Fishburne sounds like he's having a ball. And just like the whole animation of that musical sequence is just so wildly creative. Very comic book inspired. And also in the first episode, we get Alison Brie as Mrs. Dylan, a.k.a. Aftershock. And we also get like Josh Keaton, Paul Shearer will show up at one point and Wesley Snipes is going to also appear. So they're putting in a lot of resources to making this as killer as possible. Cause that's basically what this whole show is. It's all killer, no filler, especially with the music with Raphael Sadiq, who one of the cool aspects of this show is when they, go into these big third act villain fight sequences are basically mini music videos and the same love and attention given to all the downtime moments of the show and the action set pieces are put in here also just super fluid and really personality driven animation oh yeah one cool thing i I learned about behind the scenes of this show is, I don't know if you remember the sneak peek that was Disney released a couple months ago. They put out a proof of concept of this action sequence set the skating rink. They used Childish Gambino's song Sweatpants to pitch the series to Disney. That's just a taste of what the rest of the show is going to look like. And it all just looks amazing. Like one of my favorite little details And we've talked about this. There are so many fun little details, like when the science teacher, who, of course, we're about to find out is the supervillain in the first episode, tells everyone else but but Lunella to leave. The coach just kind of 
T poses out of the scene. Like, doesn't move. He just gets into, like, one pose and just slides across the screen, which is intentional. This isn't like that Polar Express glitch that you can see with the elves when they get to the North Pole, where if you look close enough, there's just one elf just sliding across the ground. Every little detail is intentional. The people on the team who are in charge of storyboarding and animating made sure every little bit popped or like Uh, a background joke or a joke in the foreground or it's to make something punchier from the dialogue like it's so cool with how much detail and passion was put into this show and since we're releasing this episode in between our seasonal anime impressions i'd be remiss if i didn't mention it's been pretty much confirmed by a lot of the people who work on the show that there's a lot of big anime fans Everything from the eye catches in between commercial breaks. And if you're a Naruto fan, there's a great blink and you miss it Easter egg during one one of the power outages scenes. Well, it's like if you watch the first episode of the 2017 DuckTales series, you can see the loop in the third car. And if you go to the episode of DuckTales when they're in Japan, you can see a background character dressed up as Lupin. I think it was either Green Jacket or Red Jacket Lupin, but... That says me being a Lupin the Third fan there. This show is good. It just like, there's always that kind of nervousness of just like, okay, what's this first impression going to be for this show? And you want it to be good because nobody should go into a film or a show or whatever wanting to hate on it. And if you do that, you suck. Here, it's just like, before we could open the door, it just blows the door down. It's just banger. Just killer. Just, it's got everything. It's got fantabulous visuals, an endearing cast of really likable characters that all feel like they have a place there. The music is killer. Really, I think everyone could watch this show. I mean, yes, it's going to be aimed at kids and such, and that's fine. But animation, well, unless you're making a directly adult show, has no age barrier with the already like super amazing positive reception to the show, this is going to be big. They took what was, I guess to me, like a sort of fan favorite Marvel property and then said, okay, let's put our all into it. And it just works on so many levels. There's just themes of genderfication, self-love, hair love, It's just cool that we get shows like this. Agreed. And I mean, like, recently we've had some killer, like, representation in animation. Back in January, Daniel Spellbound Season 2 came out, and Season 2 is just great. And what was also released this week was My Dad, the Bounty Hunter, which we'll talk about in a future episode after we do the second anime wrap-up. And... Y'all should watch that show also. It's great. And of course, what we'll be talking about next is the Proud family, Louder and Prouder. There's a reason why representation matters. And we need representation for animation and art to thrive. We need those diverse stories and characters and themes. Couldn't agree more with that. If you want a show that really celebrates diversity in every sense of the word you definitely give moon girl and devil dinosaur 
ago. It's love. <laughs> That's really what it is. Just love for the art form, love for the medium, love for science. Love- love for the audience just love for everything that's our impression so far i will be amazed if this show doesn't keep on kicking when we keep seeing the other episodes like i said we only got to see the first episode and then a few episodes later on we'll have to see how the whole season goes but i can't wait i can't wait until we can actually talk about it more when we talk about the show as a whole same but now we move on to our main event This one actually threw me for a loop. Disney Plus released the entire second season of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. Of course, this is a continuation, new iteration on The Proud Family, which we now have called The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. And Mike, do you have any like memories of watching the original Proud Family? I don't think I've seen like every single episode, but I watched like quite a bit of it growing up i remember just really liking the the unique animation style like the characters were a lot of fun penny's friends were well not great it's the one thing that i've always had a problem with but other than that it's just one of those classic disney shows that i have like very fond memories of but i gotta say louder and prouder takes the foundation of the original show and brings it up to 11 Yeah, for me, I did watch The Proud Family, the original one back in the day. And it was part of that new wave of Disney animated shows that, you know, like how in the 90s Cartoon Network had that big boom of just like hit after hit after hit after hit. Oh, yeah. This was basically that point for Disney because... Back then, like they had like Pepper Ran, Kim Possible, and such, and the Proud Family. Those were like the stalwart franchises for the channel because this was way past the time of DuckTales, Chippendale, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, Gargoyles, and such. It was time for that new, fresh group of talent to make shows for them. And this is kind of like where I think the Disney Channel, like, had a better streak than, I would say, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network at this point in time. Because during, like, the early to mid-2000s, this was kind of like the point where the Cartoon Network guard was pretty much, like, on its way out. A few would stay around, like, much longer than others, surprisingly. And then Nickelodeon was kind of in the same boat like they had a few new shows but they were still riding on like the spongebob square pants being like the biggest thing Mm -hmm. at that point in time but disney had a lot of good shows during this time period like i said pepper and proud family and kim possible which i'm sure they're gonna think about making another kim possible series like i wouldn't put it past them it's when that's going to happen, not how it's going to happen. It, yeah, the Proud family was very distinct because even for back then, we didn't have a lot of cartoons that focused on Black characters and such. It was very distinct for that reason. The fact that that's still kind of a thing now is sad. It seems like for every time we can push innovation, what the studios want 
will just kind of push progress back a little. It's always a bummer when that happens. So it was interesting to hear that they were going to continue the Proud Family, where they don't restart anything. They actually age up the characters and such, which that was good. I think that was a very honest and noteworthy like approach to the show because the original's there. Well, like what fixed what isn't broken? Not to say that the original show didn't have its problems here and there, but I need to rewatch the show to see what how I would think about it. With Louder and Prouder, a lot of the big push for this new one was everyone was older. They brought back pretty much the entire original voice cast for everyone. So you got Kyla Pratt, you have Tommy Davidson, Paula Jai Walker, Joe Marie Payton, Karen Melina White, Solil Moon Fry, Elisa Reyes, Cedric the Entertainer, as their respective characters. Tara Strong got replaced as Bebe Proud and Cece Proud. And Puff is now voiced by Carlos Alasraki. Love that guy. But I think that was really cool. They actually brought back everyone. And I know some people made nonsense comments of saying like, oh, whoa, they sound different. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> that's what happens when you grow older. Your voice exactly. changes. It's like that family guy gag where Peter, things haven't been this awkward since I hit puberty. And he cuts away to that like, hey, guys, you want to play some baseball? Like, who cares that they got older? And what have you. Kyler Pratt still sounds great as Penny Proud. Tommy Davidson, Paula Jai Parker, and Joe Marie Payton did not skip a beat with these characters. No, they did not. Everyone pretty much got a good upgrade. It's like, it's familiar, but there's still, like, change to the characters and such. And some got the bigger glow up than others, like the character of Michael Collins... Going from like the small kid with the too large shirt on to, well, you see how he looks in the new show. He looks great. The other big push were some additional characters with Maya Leibovitz Jenkins, voiced by the always great Kiki Palmer. By the way, she had such a killer 2022 with the first season of this light year, which I thought she was the best part of that movie. And with Nope. It's like, could you imagine having that stacked year? I think most people would love to have that. We also have Maya's brother, Francis K.G. Leibowitz Jenkins, voiced by artist uh, Boogie DuBose, and their two parents, Barry Leibowitz Jenkins, voiced by Zachary Quinto, and Randall Leibowitz Jenkins, voiced by the always amazing Billy Porter. First of all, great casting. With yes. those two. You got to put Billy Porter in everything. He's great. Just do it. He's always used to the, like, the best part in everything. Pretty much. And then Raquel Lee also reprises her role as Nubia Gross of the Gross Sisters. And they also don't skip a beat with how they've been adjusted or adapted to a new generation. And... The animation also got like a very big upgrade. I think the show looks great. Not that the original didn't have its charm, but the original show 
it's starting to show its age. I don't blame the people working on the show. That's just technology back then with digital coloring and digital animation taking front and center. That's the thing about technology and animation and such. Things are going to look a little rough at one point, And then before you know it, we hit that point where it's like, oh, that looks amazing. I mean, watch Pixar's The Incredible and wait for the moment that you see one scene that looks definitely not rendered fully. <laughs> I was just about to use that example. The difference between the original Proud Family and Louder and Prouder is definitely like comparable to, say, the difference between the early Mickey Mouse shorts and Fantasia. It's like that much of, a, of an animation jump. Pretty much. They definitely got different studios to work on this, which was a duo collaboration between Wild Brain Studios that did the Carmen San Diego's Netflix series, which now you look at that series and it's like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and they did a Sonic Prime. And the other one was the Snipple Animation Studios, which if y'all remember this studio, they were the ones that did the really good trick-or-treat Scooby-Doo from last year. So they obviously had some very good artists and studios working on this show. On this show, They put like actual shading on the 2D, which I think that's very impressive that they put like lighting on the characters. That's kind of the thing about the, like when you compare the original to the new one, the original is flat, but it has a style to it that stands out among the other shows that were coming out at the time. Here, Mm -hmm. the 2D animation has, like, shading and lighting on them. And And it's like, it's very, like, Klaus in that regards. And I think, like, Klaus was, like, one of the big champions of just, like, hey, here's how you can make more distinct and layer-filled 2D animation. This is how you upgrade 2D animation. And there are some points in Louder and Prouder where the animation goes wild. Like, there are some very expressive and fluid stuff. Especially, like, from season two, during that one episode where Penny gets a little fed up with Dijonet during the whole debate thing. And Dijonet, her character animation at one point, looks so good and it makes me want to like look into the animation teams because they do such a good job and oscar is just one of the most expressive characters on the show i love all of the oscar-centric episodes because you can tell that he's one of those characters that the animators just love to put him in the most ridiculous situations like there's one point where he befriends a wild kangaroo that they encounter just the situations that they get mixed up with are just insane. Exactly. Now, they do make a few little changes here and there. They take out one character from the original show, and understandably so with what's going on behind the scenes with the actor as well, who played the character. So, yeah, there's a reason why... I think his character's name was Sticky, didn't come back. But we do get more interactions with Bobby Proud, 
and Sugar Mama. And Sugar Mama gets another just great upgrade. She becomes more active within the main show. Not as much as season one of Louder and Prouder, but definitely more season two. It's like they upgraded her from secondary to main cast. Even though they give like this big glow up and upgrade to the animation, a lot of the things stay the same, especially the interactions, which whether for better or for worse, Penny has a very eclectic group of friends. Well, I mean, let's just face it. Sometimes her friends are the worst and they make you wonder why they are friends with one another. (laughs) I can name at least like three or four episodes where I genuinely asked, why the hell is Penny still friends with Dijanae? Well, it's just like with some of them, like La Cienega and how she's trying to steal Penny's boyfriend, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Brown, who's voiced by Ashante Black who's also very cool and a fun addition to the cast. And I love that first joke of like when Oscar meets him and Kareem stands up and it's like, like this show doubles down on the cartoony visual humor, which is really fun because while this show will talk about some very heavy, realistic subject matter, it's not afraid to go cartoony. And I think that's really cool that it does that. I have to agree. Some episodes can get a little bit more ridiculous than others. But the way the writers handle the balancing of tones between episodes is honestly pretty impressive. It is very good. There are some moments where I feel like it clashes and... Sometimes there are moments where some of the characters are more standoffish with Penny than others. But the overall show is very well balanced with its humor and its subject matter. This show got a lot of notoriety during last year, right around the same time Turning Red was coming out, when Disney was under fire for supporting and funding the don't say gay bill and whether it was intentional or it was just you know perfect timing zoe hauser her character during like one of the episodes in season one goes like like i'm trying to play both sides here and it's like wow disney (laughs) because you know if you remember everything that happened during that time period disney did not look the best because they were trying to be like but disneyland and the company of disney are there for all families even though it's just like then why are you helping fund that don't say gay bill oh man what a frustrating company <laughs> yeah because the other major part of this new show is how it tackles real life and racially politically focused storylines some of it is deals with sexism, especially the season one finale and the season two premiere, which deals with Sugar Mama's disconnected family. That's in uh, Oklahoma. And just like why she decided to, you know, go like disconnect herself from that side, like part of her life. 
and it deals with a lot of sexism and such. Then with the debate team episode, they pretty much say like, hey, a lot of the U.S. was built upon slavery. Y'all can try to like ban, burn, and try to hide about what our history includes and reveals and hides. We have a very ugly history here in America. And the only way we're ever going to get better is if we learn from it. And that means we have to deal with the fact that there's a real ugly side of America in the history of it all. So anyone who complains about shows like this being too political, just go away. Even the original Proud family dealt with topics of sexism and like black history. Like there's a very popular meme of Oscar going, it's Black History Month on the shortest month of the year, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I know people find this kind of stuff like hard to stomach and hard to talk about because, yeah, you definitely have to watch where you're stepping. But it's important that shows talk about this. And the fact that most shows have gotten punished for trying to do so, like, lest we remember what, what happened with Steven Universe. And what happened? And during that one episode, and why, you know, a bunch of dirtbag, racist, and terrible people are getting mad at this new season, which is being very vocal about tackling things like racism and such. Like, it's a thing, it's going to happen, and it's good for entertainment to acknowledge that fact and talk about it and be respectful while talking about it don't downplay it don't go at it how mel brooks went about criticizing terrible people and such in his movies i'm glad that this is still even though they do address like heavier topics that this is still generally aimed towards a younger demographic because if they're not going to teach this stuff in school then this is probably the best platform to raise awareness of these topics I like that the show is very unapologetic about it. They don't care if they step on any toes. Let's just say that. Especially like with the introduction of uh, Maya Leibovitz Jenkins, who at first is very standoffish towards Penny. She's more like the passive aggressive jerk of the new friend group. And there are times though where they, where she is more friendly and, on the same level as everyone else. But she is really partially the instigator in a couple of the episodes. There's also like themes of colorism during like one of the episodes where this new student comes in and only wants to date Zoe, not because he finds Zoe attractive or like likes her personality, but for her skin color. We're not experts on this. I'm just pointing these out because. Like, this is what the show wants to talk about. The name of that episode is called The End of Innocence, which is a pretty great title. The hook around that episode is Penny and her friends are, like, every year they do this Disney princess party. So when Zoe meets this this new kid, she becomes ostracized because this guy only wants to date white girls and given who the rest of the cast is that becomes a problem and i like the way that they handled the conflict in this episode i also like the b plot with sugar mama and her friend celia 
who's voiced by Jane Lynch. Perfect casting. Right, right. No, it's a episode about self-love because there were a lot of microaggressions that Zoe was throwing out in the friend group that she just really wasn't getting. Like, I was curious about the episode itself because, well, first of all, Disney exists in this one world, like, as its own separate entity, as part of an entity to to Wizard Kelly, who apparently owns everything here. He's like the Lex Luthor of Emilyville, or that's what they call Smithville at the end of the season, spoilers. Pretty much. And we'll talk about that in a moment, because it's also another episode where everyone's like, oh, I can't believe they're teaching our kids this, where it's just like, I'm glad that they are. And of course you get all the Easter eggs of like Penny dressing up as Princess Tiana from Princess and the Frog. Uh, Dijonet dressing up as Cinderella, the Brandy edition. There we go. And then of course La Cienega dresses up as the uh, the Disney Junior Princess. Elena, Princess of Avalor. Which they played a theme song when she shows up and I was just like, Someone was a fan of the show. And I loved Oscar's, the court jester from, I think, Sleeping Beauty. Like, Wizard Kelly does show up, and he's voiced once again by Aerie Spears, which I'm sure this was all recorded and produced before the whole thing happened with him and Tiffany Haddish from the controversy from last year. But they also have, like, other big celebrity guests in this show that help with the self-love and, like, love who you are, be proud. And well, be loud and proud. <laughs> like they have Lizzo in one episode, and I thought she was great. I mean, Lizzo's just an icon, but it's just like there's this new life and purpose to the show. It's not like, oh, they just rebooted it because they could, you know, to get those nostalgia dollars and such, because, you know, nostalgia is mighty profitable. It is, but with this show, they clearly have things on their minds that they want to address to as wide an audience as possible. Exactly. It's just a really cool show because someone was on the right side of the the creatives at Disney. Whatever executive was like, sure, you can do this. Because there's always that disconnect with Disney. Their TV shows tend to have more progressive, universal and inclusive themes, tones, commentary, and such, while their live-action and animated feature side still feel restrictive. There's that dissonance with the whole company because of that. Like, who on the TV side of things is getting to do all of this, and why can't the movies and the live-action stuff do this? For example, like the 10th episode deals with the fact that these town that this whole show takes place in was founded by a slave owner. And of course, this was probably, this whole episode was probably written back in maybe 2021. At the latest, I would imagine like 2021. I'd have to kind of think like when the whole thing of taking down the Confederate statues was a thing. Because that's exactly what happens. And showing... Like episode 10 of season two is probably the probably the most mature and darkest episode of the whole show so far. Yeah, because like that whole scene where they are protesting the statue and such things escalate 
to a very, I can't believe they actually got away with this way, especially with the kids getting arrested by riot police. I mean, granted, they didn't show the immense amount of violence that riot police bring to peaceful protests and then try to play it off as they were just as violent as we were. We had to defend ourselves. It's like, uh, uh-uh, no, no. And they talk about stuff like white fragility. Yep. With Barry's arc of him just kind of having to come to terms that part of my history is not great. And the fact that even he gets thrown in jail with everyone else, there's a reason why there were multiple shots of Barry's police badge getting stepped on by the riot police. So, yeah, it's like all of the promise of this show to tackle political race related topics naturally came ahead with this episode. I mean, it was like a slow buildup to this point. I like that. I think that's very impressive for this show and just like shows in general, because there's always feels like there's this hesitation with some shows where they're like, we want to tackle something bigger, but we really don't want to, alienate the audiences when it's just like you know what if audiences leave because they don't want to hear about like the ugly truths to the police or our history or racism and or colorism and such they're blaming this show for bringing everything up front they probably weren't fans in the first place for the most part critics and audience goers have been very positive with where this show is going. Another episode that I want to talk about is episode nine, which is centered around baby. This is the one, the other episode that kind of went viral. There's a clip where Oscar and Trudy take BB to Dr. Lord, who kind of specializes with kids on the spectrum. And this is when it's revealed that BB is canonically autistic. And the way that they handled the dialogue and how they kind of explained autism to BB's parents, I thought was handled surprisingly well for an animated series. Like we've seen some autistic representation in shows like Dead End, Paranormal Park, and there are couples that aren't really coming to mind right now, but this is another positive step forward. Yeah, this was the other big moment from the show, and... They do handle it with care. You can tell that the writers were given time and they did their research. They probably had people come in who specialize in this stuff to make sure that they weren't going to step on any feet and do something bad by saying something like, oh, your kid's a problem now. No, they make sure to say that like BB is, there's nothing wrong with him. And I think as much as I don't like Oscar's selfishness at points, like sometimes they just take it way too far. This is one of the few episodes from this season where Oscar was very much more human with his stubbornness of just like dealing with this news and such about BB being on the spectrum. And, but it leads to some of the best and most quiet moments of the show of him just like, finally having to take it all in and being really worried for BB and such. And 
knowing and accepting the fact that BB will be okay and BB going to this school that will help with kids on the spectrum is okay. It makes the Proud family, Louder and Prouder, a more mature show than most adult-aimed media and such. You and I have to agree with that. It's amazing what we can do with shows these last two decades and how we are able to tackle more complicated subject matter and have more like philosophical or moral topics at hand and such. And we wouldn't have that if shows like Adventure Time didn't come out or like Proud Family way before then. It's just really cool that this show exists and that they have gone in a direction that brings so much complexity to animation. Like I'm at a loss for words just because it's it's touching. Though I have to ask, do the creators of the original show and this show have something against Al Roker? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I forgot. In the first season of this revival, Al Roker makes another appearance as a villainous version of himself. That's a very good question. I, I think sometimes the celebrities that they bring on the show are given the choice to either play like caricatures of themselves or just play like characters. Right, right. And because like Lizzo, for example, plays herself just like a literal cartoonier version of herself. Little Nas X is in the season finale for season one. He's Junebug. Yeah, he doesn't play like himself there. He's just there. Like Anthony Anderson is plays a character. Tiffany Haddish plays a character and such. And then uh, Amphibia fans, Brenda Song plays Vanessa View the constantly annoyed reporter of having to cover all the nonsense that she does. Speaking of Amphibia, one of the chain triplets is voiced Haley Zhu, who most people know as Marcy. Like, oh, and some other voice actors that are that I'm so happy to see. Well, first off, Kevin Michael Richardson comes back as Dr. Payne. And Dr. Payne is great. I love his character. And then uh, Chris Summers returns as Peebo. And plays a few other minor roles. Patricia Belcher plays Principal Hightower. By the way, some of the jokes with Principal Hightower are dark. Have subtitles on every time she yells at the kids and you'll see why. One of my favorites was, I said, quiet, you future Border Patrol. It's like, whoa, okay. (laughs) I guess you have a certain viewpoint about the kids going here. (laughs) Yeesh. This show is so well made. I love it. I can't wait. Like, there has to be a third season, right? I'm hoping so. Because, um, like, granted, I know they're probably having to do the whole thing of, like, only going to get a three-season kind of thing because that's what a lot of streaming shows and TV shows like to do these days, for better or for worse. I think I got a little, like, curious about, like, if there was going to be a third season because the final episode with the slave owner storyline feels very much like a final episode kind of thing it does but it also kind of feels more like a season finale than a series finale yeah no i get that but i i hope there's more i hope there's a season three i think this show is incredible i think everyone should watch it it's like the first season was definitely one of the best cartoons of last year and i would say season two is right up there as well Like with its writing, its characters, its animation, 
I'm glad that the team that made this show were able to go the way they wanted to. And like good on Bruce W. Smith and Ralph Farquhar, like good on them. And I think they recently signed an overall deal with Disney. So they've obviously hit a chord with an audience that needed something like this show. So I can't wait to see what happens next. Agreed. Now, for those of you who don't have Disney Plus, they are broadcasting season two on Disney Channel starting next month on March 4th. So if you don't have Disney Plus but want to check out the new season, you should definitely watch this on TV if you can. And like, if you need something else to fill the time, watch My Dad the Bounty Hunter on Netflix if you still have Netflix. If at this point, Netflix hasn't shot their foot off again so yeah that's it for this episode next time we'll be back with the anime season but until then cameron where can everyone find you online you can find me on twitter at cams my hive account is the same i have a website called cams where i review animated films and shows from around the world called the other side of animation i also have a patreon at patreon.com slash cams that's where you can find me and you guys can find me on Twitter and Hive at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser, on the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopCulture.com. Need to escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.